Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Soul Fall. Today, we're going to be speaking with a psychotherapist. Her name is Brooke Ames, and we'll be reviewing what is addiction. Um, so the first question is going to be today, what is addiction? Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Brooke. Um, so in answering the question, what is addiction? I would like to read um, the definition from ACMS. ACMS is the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And I really think that their definition kind of encompasses all the factors that make up an addiction. <clears throat> so they define addiction as a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. And then people with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. So I think that that's relevant because it identifies all the factors that make up an addiction, right? So it can be from genetics, it can be from experiences, it can be from um, a person's environment. And all these things really make a difference of if a person is going to develop an addiction and then the other thing that I think is really important that it points out is that um, the most common form of addiction that we know today involves substance use, but really it can be any behavior that an individual continues to engage in despite harmful consequences. And this might look like um, something that's more acceptable in society, like accumulating a lot of credit card debt, or maybe infidelity, or maybe gambling. And I think that um, that's something that's not normally talked about with addiction. It can be a whole bunch of things with a whole bunch of different factors. I really like that point. Um, you know, I'm just going to kind of gloss over a few different points that you went over there where three things that help develop an addiction or, or at least contribute to it is one genetics, two experiences, three environment. I think that's really important to note because, um, you know, of course, we're going to ask more questions, but we're, we were really going to dive into genetics and um, what can go into mental health. And just knowing that those th three things are top of mind, it really makes you prioritize them, right? Like, if you do have a bad genetic, maybe try harder to break it. If you have gone through traumatic experiences, maybe seek out a therapist or some sort of form of help and if you're in a bad environment like change your surroundings um so I really really um did get a lot of out of that part and also the most common form of addiction can be any behavior a person decides to participate in despite negative consequences so I mean usually whenever we think of addiction right the first thing that we think about is maybe alcohol maybe drugs but the last thing that I had on my mind was, you know, perhaps gambling, perhaps cheating. So just knowing that there's a larger, broader definition of it, of addiction is kind of eye-opening. And when it does uh, come to addiction, what are some of the risk factors of addiction? So say somebody is going through an addiction or has an addiction, um, what what really happens to them in their life? So then that really depends on what is the addiction, right? So if it's substance use, if we're talking about harmful substances like heroin or cocaine, then um, the damage that could be caused could be fatal. It could be overdoses. It could be fatalities. It could be car accidents from being under the influence. It could be 
relationships that are devastated by the behaviors, the compulsive behaviors that can continue and continue and continue. Um, if we're talking about alcohol, it could be very similar. It could be drunk driving. It could be um, effects to the body like cirrhosis um, or jaundice. And then if we're talking about credit card debt, then we're talking about huge lump sums of debt that people feel like it's too overwhelming to try to get out of. Same thing with gambling. Um, the A lot of times the behaviors that come along with addiction are um, like lying and these things that are very harmful to um, relationships. And so I think a lot of the damage that falls with addiction in um, most of the addictions is to the individual and to their body and to their own mental health, but then also to their relationships as well. Absolutely. And before we get to the relationship piece on how it would really affect your family, affect your relationships, maybe your romantic relationships. Um, when it comes to the addiction, um, is it how much of it comes from genetics? Do we have power over the genetics piece? How much power do we have? Can you kind of speak more on the whole entire science behind the genetics and the addiction? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is like a huge argument, a huge controversy, I feel like in the world today. So it's super interesting to me. Um, there is scientific evidence saying that it's genetic, right? It's part of our genetic makeup. And then the other argument is, but it's a choice. It's always a choice to pick up a substance or to use a substance or to not use a substance. So we can have someone in our family that had used substances or struggled with some kind of addiction. It's in our genetic makeup. It's a part of ourselves. We might never know that, right? It might come out in other ways where it's not blatantly obvious. Um, and we're not able to tell. It might come out in our spending habits or in our relationships in a very subtle way where it's not um, super, super obvious. So we could have it as a part of our genetic makeup without ever even knowing that it's there. I think that the important piece about being aware of the genetic makeup is knowing like, if I'm a child of someone who struggled with an, an addiction, there is a likelihood that if I picked up a substance or if I picked up gambling or if I picked up alcohol, I would be more likely to become addicted to that substance because it's a part of my genetic makeup. I mean, I'm not a professional, but I would definitely say, um, you know, it's pretty much in my, in my, from my point of view, if you have a family member that's done it. it I feel like maybe it's, it, it must feel so much harder to get away from it because maybe it's like, I'm, I don't know. I've never had a parent that drinks, but if I had a parent that, that drinks all the time and they were always drinking, I, I would feel like, you know, it's just like how we had said earlier, it kind of comes down to environment. And then have you ever like went out drinking with your friends one day and then maybe got hung over. And then the next day after you're so totally depressed. Um, I mean, that situation happens a lot. I actually was talking to someone this week that's, you know, in my friend group and they're saying, Oh my God, I drank yesterday. And now today I'm so depressed. I can't stand it. So, I mean, and just that small scenario makes me also believe that, you know, addictions, whether it's drinking drugs, you know, gambling, credit card debt, um, really has a huge impact on, on mental disorders. And um, what kind of, you know, mental disorders can stem from addiction? 
Well, I think it's important to note that some substances are naturally a depressant. So especially as far as alcohol is considered, because it's so common in our society, it is very normal for someone to feel depressed the day after drinking because alcohol is naturally a depressant. So someone that already struggles with depression and then drinks to help their depression will probably feel worse after drinking on the following day. Does that make sense? That makes sense. But then why say, say that they feel worse? Why do they do it again? For the temporary relief. So there's temporary relief in being intoxicated or in feeling a little bit tipsy and feeling a little bit good for a little bit of time. And that can be tempting to want to go back to. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But to me, I'm just so like, I don't understand why. <laughs> and then outside, So people that struggle with mental health um, issues in general, when we add substances into the mix, it's more likely to be amplified in some sort of way because we're just putting a band-aid on something that's not being treated. Um, so we're really just suppressing something that really needs more treatment than that. And then outside of that, um, clinicians use a diagnostic manual, the DSM-5, to diagnose people with specific disorders. And in the DSM-5, there are specific disorders that come from substances. And in that, there's like the most common are um, substance-induced anxiety or substance-induced sleep disorders. And typically, they're coming from people that are using substances and displaying these kinds of symptoms or withdrawing from substances and displaying these kinds of symptoms. And oftentimes, you'll see people in substance use treatment centers getting treatment and misdiagnosed with something like bipolar disorder because they're experiencing withdrawal symptoms from substances that they were using. Yeah, I usually see that a lot. Um, whenever I do speak to, you know, friends of friends that have friends or like, you know, people that I know um, that do have addictions, they they always tell me like, oh, and that they were also diagnosed with bipolar disorder, anxiety, um, insomnia, things like that. So, and that's kind of really just from like what I what I know from the small amount, I'm not the professional here, but um, say someone has a friend or a family, what should the family do or how should they act with someone that has an addiction? So say, um, you know, you have a father or a brother or whatever it may be, and they just cannot seem to stop drinking. How can you make them stop drinking or how can you encourage them to stop drinking? Um, what really can somebody do to help or to relieve someone of their addiction? So this is really one of the most devastating parts and pieces of addiction is the family. And I've done a lot of work. Most of the work that I've done has surrounded the individual and then the families on top of that, right? And um, it's very difficult to speak with parents on the phone when they're worried about their they're young adults, they're babies, but now are in young adulthood struggling with some kind of addiction. Um, and just to see families really devastated, spouses getting married and having all these hopes and dreams for the future. And then here comes ad addiction to kind of like sabotage what we had going for us. And it's very difficult for families to sit on the sidelines and watch the individual self-sabotage over and over again. And unfortunately, it's a really, I think what the most devastating thing is that we're completely powerless 
to be able to help them, right? Because they always need to just help themselves. They need to have the willingness. So the biggest suggestion that I have for families watching a loved one struggle with addiction is to really seek their own counseling um, so that they can address the issues and the feelings and the emotions and things that they're going through because of their loved one's addiction. So maybe they're feeling angry or maybe they're feeling frustrated or they're feeling sad or devastated to be able to talk to an objective person about these things and to be able to have some kind of guidance from an objective person about sticking to their boundaries because that can be one of the most difficult parts for family members is to stick to the really hard boundaries of no, I'm not letting you back into the house if you continue to do this or not letting you continue to drive the car. These boundaries that we don't want to stick to because we love our loved ones, but we need to in order to protect ourselves and to continue to protect them. And then the worst thing that I feel family members can do, which is the hardest thing, is to not enable the addiction, not continue to give them money, not continue to give them a place to live, not continue to provide for them to make it easy to continue the addiction. The harder it gets to continue to maintain the addiction, the more likely the person is to seek help. I really like what you had just said. The harder it gets, the more likely the person is to seek help. Um, also, it really is devastating to have someone in your family that has an addiction and you really just feel absolutely powerless and helpless watching them just self-sabotage. Um, and I, I do like your piece of advice and the biggest suggestion to someone close to a person battling an addiction is to seek counseling on their own. Um, but when it comes to seeking counseling on their own, who do they go to? Like, what is the best professional for someone that is a family member of an addict is it still like the person that the addict would be going to see is there a special type of therapist is there a special type of counseling who's the best person for someone like that to go see I would seek either um, a licensed family therapist or a licensed addiction therapist because either one is going to understand the family dynamics and the addiction piece Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense there. And um, in conclusion to, to this recording, if, if someone's listening right now, which I hope they are, and they're struggling with an addiction, which I hope they're not, um, what is a piece of advice that you would give them or you really want them to know? If someone is out there and they are currently struggling with an addiction, I think the most important piece to know is that there's always hope. It can be very easy to lose sight of hope when we're in the grips of an addiction and we feel completely hopeless and completely helpless. But for anyone out there that's struggling with an addiction, I just want you to know that um, I'm a licensed therapist. I also struggled with a heroin addiction for a very long time. Narcan was used to save my life at least five times from overdoses. And here I am many years later as a licensed therapist. So if that can be used in any kind of light to help anyone or to show anyone that there's always hope and we can always make the decision to kind of rewrite our future, no matter how, how far gone we believe that we are, there's always hope. Thank you so much, Brooke. And, and that's really amazing. I am so proud of you for sharing that. And I'm so proud 
of who you are and the journey that you've been on. And it's true, we can always rewrite the future. Um, the past definitely does not define us um, and the future is ours. Um, so really thank you for being a part of the podcast today, sharing everything that you know from expertise to personal experiences. We really appreciate it and hope to have you on the podcast sometime again. Thank you so much for having me. Anyone that um, wants to continue to chat more or is looking for therapy services can find me on Instagram at Gaining Grace LLC or can look up my website. It's the same website. Thanks for having me again. Sure thing.